Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a pop culture phenomenon heading into the 1990s, and with that came this live-action movie. Let's see if there's quality to be found or if this is nothing more than a big ball of nostalgia. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. Major League butt-kicking is back in town. This is a movie podcast and our current season, our new season, is that of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why? Cowabunga. Why, you might ask? Because there's a new animated film coming out later in the year. Uh, not too eminently, but because of the way the schedule worked out, this was the slot we had for them. So we're going to do the five live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, the three from the 90s and then the two Michael Bay produced ones. So obviously starting today with the original 1990 film. Uh, so we'll get into it. And we come at this from two very different perspectives because mm-hmm. I am someone who grew up loving the Ninja Turtles, watching the cartoon, watching the 90s movies. Yep. David, on the other hand, missed the boat on the Turtles. I guess I was just a tiny bit afterwards and I had to take the Pokemon boat instead. How, uh, like, how much of any of any Turtles media had you seen before watching this movie today? Uh, of any Turtles media, there was a Nickelodeon show that I caught a few stray episodes of. I think that was around like 2008 okay. time. Um, I was aware of the existence of the 90s movies. And as we will eventually get to in the second one, the Turtle Rap or Ninja <laughs> Rap, I believe it is. I'm aware of that. And um, I never bothered to give the Michael Bay movies any time at all. So... That's really as far as it goes. Oh, no, that's not true. I did end up watching the animated movie that came out before this actually in theaters because my little brother wanted to go see it and he needed someone to see it with. So I did watch that. Well, before this one? Before this one, but none of it is in my head because I was like 15 and had better things to do. Wait, are you sure you don't mean before the Bay ones? You're thinking 2007. Yes. So that's not before this one. No, I... Hold on, what? I This is the 1990 movie we're talking about. I, no, I'm saying I watched <laughs> the animated movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Before I watched Sorry. this one. The way you said yes. it, it, it sounded like it was an animated movie that came out before the 1990 no. movie that you, you went to see. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm older than you. How were you 15 in, like, 1990? Yep. <laughs> Time continuum. Yes. Uh, okay, but yeah, we'll start spoiler-free uh, for those who are being concerned, yes. and we'll give warning before we get spoilers, but we'll talk about the film, um, get these different perspectives, and, you know, uh, dive in. Uh, this, is, this, you know, this is an interesting one, you know, we've done 70s gritty crime thrillers, we've mm-hmm. done disaster movies, we've done uh, Christmassy family films, but uh, to me, I had to remember what, what they were. What, I was going to say, we only have three themes so <laughs> far, know. how did what, you already forget one? <laughs> What did we do in between those two? I can't remember. Yeah. So, I don't think we did anything. So this is interesting because this is the first time we're sort of inching into superhero kind of territory, which, you yeah. know, kind of. It, it, it's it, From the comic book world, the comic books were written in, in part to kind of uh, satir- satirize uh, mm-hmm. superhero comics, but particularly Frank Miller's stuff and like, the, the Gritty Dark Knight Returns. The comics were written to kind of like ape on that a little bit. And right. I think what's interesting about this movie is that obviously it's 
produced because the animated series was so big and that was obviously aimed squarely at kids but the original comics not weren't necessarily you know like that they were you know they're more a bit more adult in theme even though it mm-hmm. still had some of its humor um this movie is kind of an interesting thing where it's obviously it's made because of the success of this the, the kids show and it wants to be able to work for the kids so it can make its money in that sense but at the same mm-hmm. time it is kind of going for a gritty new york it's going for this kind of crime look you know this this world that feels a bit more dark and murky not that it's got mm-hmm. a dark and murky tone per se but it definitely feels like it's got a visual style one, one that you'll definitely notice yeah. is absent when you go to watch the second one soon <laughs> so i definitely i definitely think that it's i don't know if it's aping on it in terms of tone but the fact that it came out so close to it i think tim burton's batman would be the best way to say what the city sort of feels like uh yeah a little bit a little bit mm. Uh, it, it's got. I feel like it's got like a. Uh, I I can see the comparison. I, I get. I get mm. why you're saying that. It, it's. It it definitely feels of its time. It feels very of its right. era in terms of how it's portraying uh, this city, this version of New York where crime is so bad that you can't step outside the door without someone mugging you uh, within about thirty seconds. That kind of. There are people version. literally in the opening sequence that don't leave their house and they yes. still get robbed. There's, yeah, there's a woman watching a TV on her balcony. She look, she doesn't even look away. She just looked down for a second, and like a ninja is like stolen her TV off the balcony. Uh, really? Yeah, wild. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll get into actually what goes on in the movie and stuff later. I, mm-hmm. I think general impressions and just like how it handles the characters and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, the interesting question here, given that you'd never seen this and have seen very little of any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yep, is David. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy this movie? Oh, God, this one I've been wrestling with since I finished the movie like an hour ago. <laughs> that's, a, um, that's, a, that's a good saying. You've been wrestling yeah, with it internally. It's a struggle. I have. So uh, there's there's a bunch of aspects to this movie that I do like. I think choreography-wise, it's good. Um, I like how the characters don't just immediately look at the camera and go like this and this crazy for turtles like they actually treat it as if it is a serious thing and mm. i can appreciate that i wish i could say the same for any of the turtles dialogue because <laughs> that's the part that was really a trouble for me is that it is nothing but one-liners i don't think they ever actually talked to each other they just kept spouting their own little catchphrases the entire time and that was the hardest part for me so do i like this movie i'm gonna give it a very tacit yes but it has like 15 (laughs) asterisks on the end of it oh this is fascinating uh i don't necessarily disagree with that critique i don't know if it bothers me (laughs) as much as Mm -hmm. it bothers you and probably that is because i grew up with it and it just it feels right (laughs) it feels right that this is the way they are i you know i I can't really argue it's i think for for me the the interesting thing with uh this movie is that it does actually feel that there's some weight to it and that there's a kind of you know i find myself getting a little emotional at a couple of parts when i want and part Mm -hmm. of that's maybe just that i've grown up attached to it but there is there's actually kind of a, a heartfelt core to it uh, something that doesn't just feel... I mean, there's elements of it that are kind of kiddie, but trust me, when you watch Secret of the Years, you'll see what the kiddie <laughs> version of this movie feels like. Oh, and boy. That's not to say that I hate Secret of the Years and that there's not some value in a, just a kiddie-aimed you know, Ninja Turtles movie. 
Mm. Uh, but th- this definitely feels like it's it's got you know some heart when it comes to sort of the, the father son stuff with splinters kind of the, the, the core of that um yeah. the the way they introduced the villain shredder is very you know menacing very cinematic you know they did put a lot of effort into trying to make him feel like a big deal mm-hmm. um you know i think, I think the, the challenge of making a turtles movie especially when it's only 93 minutes is you've got four main characters in your ensemble group not to mention april o'neill who's maybe a major character then splinters might be a major character and you're already doing casey jones in this movie which you could have mm-hmm. probably saved for a sequel if you you know you really wanted to but i i i still think despite how massive of a success it was i still don't think they knew it was going to work i think they were oh, just sure. like if we're going to put anything in this movie it's got to be everything the fans want to see right now just in case we don't yeah. get that second one no, I, I get it. Movies, well, they were happy to do sequels in this time period. Obviously, they were. They weren't, like, they weren't made in this way where the first movies were written. Like, this is the first part of a seven-movie saga. So there's going right. to be so many open ends at the end of it that's really unsatisfying when it doesn't do any... You know, because that's happened. Like, the last, like, four Terminator movies were all meant to be the first in a trilogy, and none of them got <laughs> their second movie. They all just rebooted to a new trilogy again. That honestly feels like the definition of hubris. Where it's like, no, no, this time it's going to work, guys. <laughs> yes. We got it all figured out. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't want to say they kept trying the exact same thing, but there is like an element of trying to do the same thing being the definition of madness. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe make a movie that works on its own that could have a sequel and, and go from there. Uh, or we could just take the Amazing Spider-Man route and throw the Sinister Six right there. How about that? Uh, that's I mean that's a different thing entirely. That's that's I mean at one point Sony <laughs> wanted to do an Aunt May origin movie, like Jesus. Uh, yeah. That, that's milking the cow. Like really milking the cow. So yeah, so so this movie yeah, there's a like a, there's a cynical little bit to it, you know, there's some product mm-hmm. placement, of course. Uh it, it, don't get me wrong, I'm not blaming them for taking a Domino's product placement. Like turtles are known. One of their one of their traits is that they like pizza. It makes sense to have a pizza sponsor. I will say one of the small trivia facts I picked up it for this movie. Mm. Apparently, at the time, yes, there was the Domino's product placement like dead in front and center there. But apparently in the real world, Pizza Hut sunk like two million dollars into branding <laughs> with them. Which That's funny. I don't I don't think that they watched the movie beforehand. Otherwise, they would have had a few things to point out. Maybe this is just a case of like we want a piece of this pie, and we can't we can't just like you know say no because Domino's is associated with them as well. Like we yeah. want a piece of this because this is this is too lucrative. It's a lucrative opportunity. <laughs> I ima- I imagine that the Domino's executives were approached by the TMNT like team, and they yeah. were like, "Hey, can we use your thing?" And they're like, Psh, "Whatever, we don't care as long as you pay us." Meanwhile, Pizza Hut are like super fans of the comic and they're like, oh my God, please let us do some branding with you. What's Papa John doing all this time? Uh, he's saying a bunch of racist comment, comments <laughs> off in the corner. I mean, I'm assuming Papa John's existed then. Papa John's only became a thing in the UK like a decade ago, but I'm assuming they existed in the 90s. I'm not, I mean, I wasn't alive then, so I can't say with certainty, but eh. Uh, hold on i'll look it up i don't know papa john's is a relatively new thing to the uk but 1984 yeah yeah we didn't get it till at least the late 2000s maybe the early 2010s fair enough yeah just yeah we just got taco bell in the last like three or four years so you know jesus what did you guys do on thursday nights at 3 a.m 
McDonald's. <laughs> ah, fair. <laughs> we had McDonald's, Burger King, KFC, and that, that was, you know, that was the fast food places. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so... Yeah, I, I, I find a lot of heart in this movie. It's very endearing. Um, mm. it's, 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 I mean, it's very... Like, it is lean. It, like I said, it's 93 minutes. It's got a lot of characters. It has to just sort of get through. Things follow on well enough. There's a simple, like, A to B mm-hmm. to C. You know, it, it functions well in that. I think the big thing, though, if you're a fan of the, the characters and stuff, is that the, the suits and the animatronics and the faces of the turtles is quite satisfying. You know, I'm not saying it looks like a real thing, yeah. necessarily, but it it's a very satisfying tactile presence in the screen that I get why today you would do it with CG, but... Mm-hmm you know, it, it does work and it feels like it's part of the world and you kind of let your suspension of disbelief take it away. Now, the animatronics in the face and stuff does get cheaper and worse. Like, when we get to the third movie, it <laughs> notably looks quite bad comparatively. And so, clearly, there's a, a standard here that is, is dropped, but uh, that stuff is great and I love the look of the movie and Splinter, yeah. you know, as well. I think Splinter looks great. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think animatronic-wise, it did a great job because the fact that they managed to Pretty seamlessly, I'm assuming there were different suits for when they're talking compared versus, to when they're fighting. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so, yeah. Um, but they did a great job of blending it together. It all worked out pretty well. The only critique I would really have in terms of, I guess it would be the animatronics part of the suit, is when they went back to dub it. Because obviously mm. the voices are different than what's on screen. And it's a fair attempt that they managed to do, but there are some lines in there where, like, the line stops and the mouth keeps moving for a full, like, two seconds afterwards. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, the one, there's one scene about midway through, Raph and Leonardo have a little bit of a tiff and Raph storms out. And Leonardo, he's like, fine, leave, I don't need you. But I guess it's kind of like the Lion King live-action problem with how do you show emotion of anger on an animatronic turtle's face because as he was leaving it was just like a blank stare into nothing like there was no emotion showing at all he was just like fine leave who needs you get out of here i'm like wow great line read how about we do it next time with anything i think you're selling the lines a bit short here i think it was more along because raf's got a very very sort of brooklyn uh well i was leo was the one who was saying it he's the one i'm just saying i'm saying his (laughs) facial expression more than anything the line reading itself was very emotional which is why the face not moving is what was like are are you okay in there i was was going to say "Ah," it was it should be more like get out of here you know kind of yeah kind of thing hey yeah i think it's uh, yeah, that is a challenge. It's but like again, you're a kid. You go to see this movie. You're oh ex- yeah, you're excited. Like I, I think it, it gets itself over a line, and then yeah, having the other characters treat. Yeah, obviously April is stunned mm. to discover mutants because it is a new thing in the world. If anything, she gets over it too quick. If you think about the the realism right. aspect of it, but you know whatever. <laughs> yeah. Can they just just go I with mean, it? <laughs> I don't I don't want to sell this as me being like, you know, cratchety old like, "Oh, why aren't these kids movies appealing to me, a 30-year-old guy?" Like, no. <laughs> I fully understand these for kids. It's just that I didn't grow up with them. I didn't have mm. that moment to it. 100% if we were doing like Pokémon the first movie right now, which I did oh. see in theaters, I would have <laughs> the exact opposite tune i'd be like oh man wasn't it so cool when mewtwo did that thing uh i'd, I'd probably be shitting all over it 
If exactly. I was to guess. If I was to guess, because uh, I am not a Pokemon kid. And I recognize that it's not high art, but I also recognize that when it comes to this, it's doing a lot of good things. It has a story to tell. It is doing good character arcs for pretty much every character. Nobody really gets bumped out, except probably for Donatello. I feel like he had nothing to do in this whole movie. I think, um, to, to me, Mikey and Donnie have always kind of felt like, unless they get focused mm-hmm. on, because if you've got a comic book series, which is like a TV show in the sense that you've got, you can, you can devote an arc to one of them if you want to yeah. over time. But with the mm-hmm. movies, I tend to find that Leo and Raph are the ones that the plot tends to come from. They're the ones that, you know, Leo's the leader, Raph's the anti- more antagonistic one who challenges Leo. So a lot of the plot tends to come from them button heads. And they're the mm-hmm. two extremes. And to me, Donnie, yeah, he's, he's the expertise with the tech and the sciencey stuff and Mikey's kind of the goofy prankster, sort of silly one. But they mm-hmm. always feel like they're the secondary. In the same way, they're like, <sighs> this is a weird thing to compare it to, but like, and I'm not a fan of this, but if you look at Harry Potter, say, you've got the four <laughs> houses. The two main yeah. ones are Gryffindor and Slytherin, which are the sort of the, the goody-good ones and the baddie-bad ones. And then mm-hmm. you've got the other two, which are kind of just like, they're the subsections of the other two almost. The Hufflepuffs, the Michelangelo group. <laughs> and yeah. Donatello, uh, he's not really like anything like Raph, but he's kind of the Slytherin in the sense that he's a smarty one. Mm. You know, what I'm saying Raider is J.K. Yeah. Rowling uh, <laughs> just stole it. Rip, ripped off. She basically looked at the turtles and then based the personalities of those four groups yeah. on the turtles that's what i'm saying that's i'm i will take that quote and bring it to her twitter feed i'm sure she'll appreciate it um <laughs> oh yeah because she takes kindly to any criticism absolutely um but no i and i get that and i do think yeah. that this is definitely more focused on leo and raf and that's fine but when i say i don't think that donatello had anything to do it's more so that you say he's the tech guy but I don't think there's a single thing in this movie no, that differentiated him from Michelangelo. No, that's fair. It's because his skills never get brought up in this movie, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just kind of a circumstantial thing. I don't remember if it gets... I think it doesn't... Because there's a lot of sciencey stuff in the second one, so I think he gets to shine a bit more as like okay. what his role is in the second one. And maybe that's just a sort of someone had to be... Because, you know, April obviously gets a lot of good stuff and she's kind of a human character, and that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, we have a kid, which, you know, again, the idea that it's kind of a darker kids movie, but it is a kids movie, so you have a kid that the kids can kind of relate to, and he's got mm-hmm. an arc, you know, Danny, the character, he actually does have probably the most clear in-your-face arc of the whole movie because he's like, oh, yeah. he's kind of like going down a criminal path at the start. And then by the end, no, he's seen the light kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, it does a decent enough job with all that stuff. Um, even Danny and his father have some issues, which is kind of there to sort of go along well with the father-son dynamic that we're getting from Splinter and his, like, sons, the Turtles, and, you mm-hmm. know, so there's, like, again, much like you said when you were talking about the Pokemon movie, it's not necessarily high art, but it is shockingly functional when there is so much dumb kid stuff out there that I don't oh, think is true. functional. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's why I think... I don't think this is going to work for someone like you, as opposed to an extent, but just in general, I don't think this is going to work for adults who didn't grow up with turtles. You show it to them now. I don't think it's going to necessarily for most of them work in any sort of special way. But Mm. I think the reason why it still works for anyone who goes back to it when they're older is because it's actually done well enough that if you have that little attachment to it, if you have those fond memories, you're like, Oh, Mm. this doesn't suck. This is actually kind (laughs) of good. You know, like it actually has that there. Um, and don't get me wrong I still have nostalgia for the second movie and it still works as a dumb kids movie the mm-hmm. third one's where we're going to get into some rough rough ground <laughs> right some rough territory coming up with that one 
but i mean i'm just if it starts getting too bad i'm just gonna turn on one of the many raps that i've seen i'm gonna get through this series <laughs> yeah i so yeah i i i i vouch a lot for this one there's there's some emotional beats in here that i actually think play quite well at least to me at, at least i think people who no, care no, about it, the it definitely had some moments um without getting too much into spoilers pretty much at the two-thirds mark of the movie i think there was a very solid the farm, emotional yeah point. The, the farmhouse uh, section yeah. of the movie gets quite emotional exactly yeah. um I, I don't i don't have any problem with where it really tries to get emotional i think that it when it pulls back on the one-liners and it does take the second to do that i think it works the issue is it's surrounded by the one-liners like that's what gets me and i know you're saying that it's oh that's the way it was on the show and that's fine but it's all of them like even <laughs> even raf in moments where you think he would be like the guy who's just nothing but angry all the time he's just throwing them out there at functionally in terms of dialogue i thought that was always michelangelo's thing from an outsider's perspective where he's the one who's throwing out the cowabunga dudes but it's just all of them all the time to the point where their intro scene of them walking in is quite literally them just trying to think of more one-liners <laughs> and donatello the- throws out like bossa nova and they're like no 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 sorry you sit this one out donatello will cover this i mean obviously i mean they still portray mikey as being the the most of that and mm-hmm. and, and he's the one that's he's the one doing impressions he's the one who's obviously the most goofy um yeah. but certainly yeah they're making it this thing where as brothers they try and out catchphrase each other it's kind of mm-hmm. their thing uh so yeah i'm not going to say it lightens up for the next one <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that's true but i think once you've established them like honestly like uh, we do plan and even though it's not part of this current season we are going to do the 2007 animated movie before the mm-hmm. new animated movie later in the year we're going to pair it with that as a two-week thing um because it fits with that more naturally and we had a five-week block here to put in the live action yeah. movies um i actually think that animated movie probably has the best character you know dialogue and rating of any of the movies mm-hmm. um and i quite like that film from what i remember so uh, yeah. I- i'm looking forward to doing that when we get there later in the year but um, I think this one has a lot of other things going for it. Uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. the most interesting as a film because it, it has like mm-hmm. all this other like the, just the world building and the the, the raw emotion in it uh, is just is really solid. I, I think if you took the actual character rating from that 2007 animated movie and sort of paired it with everything else in this, you'd probably have whatever the perfect turtles the movie. Perfect turtles could movie. Be. Yep. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, uh, we should mention some other things here. As a very young mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell, uh, with a small role. Yeah, that caught me off guard. Yeah, it just it's, that's one of those things where you grew up watching this, and then what? Then one day you know who Sam Rockwell is, and then you go back and watch it again. And you go, wait a minute, <laughs> that's Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Uh, before even like you know, like Green Mile and Galaxy Quest being like the first things I really know him from. I think timeline yeah. wise, so that's kind of wild. Um, mm-hmm. Casey Jones is played by Elias Coteus, who um is one of those actors who just pops up in a lot of little roles over time he apparently his big thing is chicago pd which yeah he's big in tv has like 45 chicago spinoffs which he also stars in all of them yeah there's literally a night of the week where i think it's nbc just have three chicago shows it's a chicago pd chicago fire something chicago med or whatever chicago Then there's one on here, Chicago Justice, which I've never even heard of. Oh, that'll but he be, that'll be the lawyers. That yeah, that'll be the yep. lawyers then. Yeah, okay. I can't wait for Chicago Trash Collection. That's going to be my favorite one. 
Nah, what they'll do is, is they'll go to like the, because uh, we see this in the TV news all the time, they always try to think of new versions of law enforcement, so it'll be like, uh, Chicago, like, Chicago's got a, got a, a coast, right? Is, is it near the water? Chicago? No, it's Illinois. It's Illinois. Okay, so yeah. oh, they can't they have a river. So they so they can't do that then. They, they can have river patrol then. There you go. <laughs> That'll last many seasons. I'm sure there's all these sorts oh, of river crime. You, you joke, you joke, but they will. They will do twenty seasons of that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> they absolutely will. Um. Anyways, so yeah, so he's there. He's and he, honestly, he's he he actually is probably the most dated sound. I know you're saying the turtles are all one liners. But he's mm-hmm. the one that has like uh, all of the, like those. Uh, uh, I won't say quite self-aware, but he ha- he has the most kind of uh, dated. Like he's the man of the the, of the character's yeah. dialogue. Uh, I guess what you're saying. Yeah, he has a couple of sexist lines with April, but it's meant to be kind of endearing, and that they kind of fall for each other or whatever. Um, he does have one line that I did not remember that is actually odd. It's like an odd homophobic line that caught me really mm. off guard because it doesn't even make sense. Someone calls him claustrophobic, and he responds by saying, "No way! I've never even looked at another man." And I'm like, "You think claustrophobic means that you're gay? Like, what?" I I took Casey in this to specifically be the dumb muscle. Yeah, sure. He's the, he, everyone else is trained in ninjutsu, which is obviously something that requires skill and talent. Casey's the guy who comes in and just brute forces the whole thing. I'm not saying it would have been a good joke, but I, I would have thought the joke there would have been, you're claustrophobic, and his response to that would be, no, I've got no problem with gay guys. Like, that to me is a bit with a joke. That you're dumb, but you're nice enough. That, that would be the joke. Honestly, I think it's just because of the time it came out. Pro- yeah, like, it, we were just on the pivot point of, like, is it culturally acceptable to, like, gay people? Eh. I mean, yeah, that's the... But it's just, like... It just it didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, I no, yeah. just and I I I'd completely forgotten this line was there. So you know, yeah, I'll I'll see excise say, that as a as a bad line of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> you you say that that line didn't make sense to you, but like I feel like that was a bunch of their little one liners were the same thing for me. Like they there was one point during a fight scene where quite literally. Donatello and Mikey are just bouncing back and forth trying to get a one-liner that has the word shell in it. And, like, it's not so much as that they're <laughs> they're just trying to one-up each other. Mikey's the one throwing them out, and Donatello's like, no, 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 that's not catchy enough. Try again. It's like, you guys are fighting right now. You understand that, right? Like, why are we why are we trying to do a shell thing? I mean, you say that, but that's a comic book. They're having conversations casually while you're in, a, like, a big fight scene. That, I guess. That's a comic book. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's just my my time in comic books kind of showing where I'm more in the era where they take themselves pretty seriously. Mm. Overall, I didn't, I never really had the whole, you know, I I was never into the sort of golden age of Amazing Spider Man where he's just quipping nonstop. I badly even mean quipping, like even just even today when they're taking themselves seriously, like if the Justice League are in a fight, like, they'll have a conversation while they're like in a fight scene no, with like, yeah. a, an army of guys. Like, I mean, it, I'm fine with a conversation that's like doing something re- related to the fight, but he's it's literally just puns. It's nonstop <laughs> puns. 
that's just them turtles. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, I don't, I don't want to sound, I feel like I'm coming off of this being like, why am I not getting my ultra serious turtles movie? I'm not looking for an ultra serious turtles movie. I'm not, but I do think that a lot of this is super indicative of this movie is for kids. It 100% was marketed and exists for children. And it just happens to be a happy little thing that the directors, that the cinematographers, that the writers also threw in just enough for adults to be like, no, this was a decently made movie as well. Instead of just bright, flashy colors the whole time, it has an interesting tone. It has a good setting. It has a plot that makes sense. And it just so happens that the turtles are walking action figures that you squeeze their stomachs and they spit out another one-liner. Yeah, but as here's the thing, I would say that all kids' movies should still be well-made. So I, I oh, think yeah. it should still be applauded. It's like, because the way you said that there's almost like, ah, well, since they felt like it, they, they also made a good movie too. <laughs> when, like... Stuff in yes. the kids should still be good. It should still function. It should still, it should. you know. I 100% I agree. But the question is, do we shame the ones that fail or do we applaud the ones that succeed? I don't think that we should applaud something just because it does what we expect things should do. You know? That's, that's I mean, that's fair. But I, I think mm. this is more than just doing it. I think this actually does succeed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it actually does create an interesting world with some menace to it, where the, the villain's oh, threatening, yeah. you care about them wanting to, like, you know, save their father. Like, I, you know what, I think it all, it all functions well. You know, I'm using the word functions because I think you don't expect it to, but I'm saying mm -hmm. that to mean that it's working. Because fundamentally, like, so, so much of writing, I mean, if everything functioned the way it's supposed to in all, like, movies and TV and whatever, then... Yeah, maybe the standards would get to this like weird place where it has to be exceptional to like you know chart mm. or to. But the truth is, is that at least half, arguably the majority, don't because there's a lot of bad rating. There's a lot of bad movies. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of bad mm -hmm. things, uh, especially kids stuff. So <laughs> I, I I think like I'm saying functional to to make it clear that it's this. I'm distinguishing it from other like kids stuff that's just thrown together and no one's going to care because kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's fair. I, I do want to point out just in terms of you're saying it works functionally. I 100% agree. But we were talking earlier, just before the recording, about the sort of modern thing with, you know, the wink and the nod sort of character, mm -hmm. like the one who who they they'll play a totally what should be a serious moment. And then wink and a nod character comes in and just kind of deflates the entire moment. Yeah, the, the overly quippy block, modern blockbuster, right. yeah. I kind of feel that way about the Turtles. And I don't want to get too much into the climax of the movie, um, because obviously spoilers, but I feel like the entire climax was just that. <laughs> it was just, they, they had a big moment, and then all of a sudden it's just like, hey, let's play rock, paper, scissors to see who goes next. I'm like, okay, yeah. Here, but here, Yeah, but here's the thing. T two points on this. Mm. The rest of the characters are taking it seriously. Yeah, right. That's fair. That's that's absolutely, I think, important, right? Mm -hmm. Because the turtles are who they are, and I think the other second point is is that this was more unique when the turtles existed as a movie, oh, right? This wasn't sure. every movie. This was what mm -hmm. made the turtles the turtles, 
And because, you know, the, the modern quippy blockbuster, it, you know, a lot of people blame Joss Whedon for that. And that's probably <laughs> fair to some extent. But I like Joss Whedon's work. I know it's not clearly like Joss Whedon that much these days, but it has work. Like Buffy, Angel, Firefly, I, you know, I love those things. Mm-hmm. And I love his dialogue in those. Like, I, I love the quippiness. I think it works when it's, it was, it was just his stuff that was doing that. I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. When everyone else is trying to do it in every single blockbuster because they feel like they have to have a quota of, of jokes alongside things to deflate moments and whatnot it's tiring and it's like you know one of the things that because the reason why this came up is because we we're talking about the new avatar and i was saying that i appreciated that it was just like an earnest story where mm-hmm. all the characters took it seriously and it doesn't matter that it's not the most complex thing but the fact that it's it can be a little you know saccharine and the characters to take that saccharine seriously is actually mm-hmm. kind of nice and refreshing these days um i think this works because the emotional side of this movie is taken completely seriously yeah the turtles are quipping and they're jokey because that's their characters but everything with them caring about Splinter, and I don't think you know, like April just wants to help them. Casey has a couple of jokes because he's, but it's not, it's not like a self-aware thing. It's more, um, you know, he just kind of represents this kind of, I don't know, cynicism, uh, I suppose. Yeah. But everything with like Danny and his father, who's like April's boss, like all that stuff is just played completely. Yeah, straight. I think I think the human characters are probably one of the best aspects of this movie, not just in how they act on their own, but with how they do just take the fact that there are these giant turtles seriously. Like yeah. they, they see this thing and they aren't immediately like, this is stupid as hell. Like it only took, I think, maybe two scenes for Casey to really start interacting. Like they had a... Uh, a back and forth as they were trying to fix a car at one point. And it felt totally natural for this random dude off the street and this giant mutant turtle to just be doing this back and forth. So I give him full credit on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I love that Raph puts on a trench coat and a hat and goes to see critters. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, well, which is notable another new line movie who produced mm-hmm. this one. So it makes sense. It's one of theirs. Yep. Um, although Crowds was like four years old by the time this movie came out, so that feels like a, a dated movie reference, but you know. Apparently in the original script, uh, it was apparently going to be Batman 89 uh, that they were going to do, but they could, could not get That makes a lot legally. of sense. Yeah. Yep. What's so funny about that is that uh, obviously not even that much later, relatively speaking, New Line would become owned by Warner Brothers. You know, it's only another mm-hmm. decade or so. It's after the Lord of the Rings movies where... Yeah, they were a big success, but it kind of led to like New Line bankrupting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, Warner Brothers bought them. So it's kind of funny that the people they were trying to get the rights from now own the company that made the movie, you know, down yeah. the line. That's kind of funny. But yeah, that, that would have been perfect given that the, the entire point of Turtles originally was to kind of like satirize things like Batman and comics. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that would have been perfect. I mean, wasn't... I'm, I'm Tell me if I'm misremembering here, but I believe in the original origin story for the Turtles the goop that they fell in was actually the same toxic stuff from Daredevil. Oh, that may be true. I mean, I, I've never read the original Turtles comic. Mm-hmm. I've read, like, the modern IDW stuff. Um, I right. just I just know of, like, the history to an extent. Um, okay. But, yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, I just remember hearing that somewhere. I don't know how true it is, but... Yeah. Uh, which, for the record, we should probably mention, uh, the bonus episode we're doing for Patreon mm. and YouTube members uh, for this theme interestingly is an animated movie and it is the batman teenage mutant ninja turtles crossover movie uh which is based on a comic i've read the comic i've not seen the animated movie uh, i have done neither yeah but i like the writer yeah james tyron the fourth he did two sequels which i've not read 
but I did read the original six issue miniseries. So yeah, we're doing that uh, as the Patreon bonus episode should be out soon, if not uh, the same day as this going public. Yep. So uh, look for that. But um, so yeah, that's fun. Which, by the way, those two things. Well, obviously, we'll talk about it in the bonus episode. But Batman mm. and Turtles marry up perfectly. It is unreal oh, how easily they fit together. It's it's, it's nuts. So. Mm. I mean, I don't know if the animated movie is going to do a good job of it, but the comic book certainly did. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right. So, I guess we'll just give the spoiler warning so we can talk about everything else in the film and talk about where yep. the plot goes and all the moments to stick out and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, let's get into it. Uh, all right. So, let's talk about the backstory, shall we? Let's talk about mm-hmm. Splinter and Shredder and where this all comes from now there's some right. there's some differences um i don't know what the original comic did but in the modern comic that started around 2010 2011 that's still going today mm-hmm. um i'm pretty sure it was a japanese man who's i can't remember the name but the, the who becomes a rat rather than this movie's backstory which is a rat who was owned by a japanese ninja who becomes smart with the the goop i'm sure i'm i'm sure i'm genuinely not sure which of those is weirder <laughs> that's a fair point <laughs> but it's the, i mean ultimately it doesn't like because in the comic book and it's been a while since i've read all this stuff but in, in the modern mm-hmm. comic book um there's, there's flashbacks to like you know like uh, splinter the real man like actually had four sons with his wife and stuff like that you know, uh, they do a okay. lot of mirroring stuff and right. whatever um and it's, it goes further back as well whereas here in the movie it's just you know it's just whatever the real time period is but mm. um the idea that shredder was the rival of this man and uh splinter actually when he was still just like a normal pet rat which is which by the way why did this dude have a pet rat let's not ask those questions let's just go with it um it's a very common pet yeah but he, he uh you know scratched his face which is you know part of the backstory um no he didn't scratch his face he leapt and did kung fu on this man's face. <laughs> okay, clawed his face and, yeah. and bet and whatever. The, the, but, you know, he... Which is actually kind of interesting in the backstory is that even before he got to the, you know, the ooze, uh, mm-hmm. as it were, which affects him and the turtles in the sewer in New York, he was already smart enough to learn the, the, the you know, the, the karate from... Which, that's a good point. It won't be kung fu because kung fu is uh, Chinese, not Japanese. Yeah. But, the, the ninjutsu yeah ninjutsu they, get, or whatever, they just yeah. literally keep on saying the way of the ninja yes yes so so he's because he actually there's, like, there's a shot during these like dark flashbacks because it's just these like mm-hmm. black backgrounds and you see like the scenes playing out in front of them there is a shot of the rat in the cage and the bird cage doing like some doing kicks yeah. oh god <laughs> and what's what's so strange to me is what you're recounting at this point comes like two-thirds of the way through the movie yeah, and we all we get a mini version of it earlier on when he's explaining it to April O'Neil, but it doesn't show any of that stuff that you're describing. He's just like, I had an owner, anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. What it shows you in the early part with April is he talks about seeing the turtles in the ooze and then like them mm-hmm. getting bigger, and we see like sort of like not teenage because they're teenage now. That's the title, yeah. but you know what I mean, like, the the adolescent, adolescent, yeah like the sizes of turtles and he's like and i named them after mm-hmm. the renaissance painters and you know michelangelo donatello Raphael, blah blah um <laughs> you literally go three and then blah 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 rather than just finishing off with michelangelo but whatever you know you know you know them okay 
Do you know what I love? I love the idea that my entire generation knows those four names because of Turtles. Not because they oh, know absolutely. our history. They, they know them because of the Ninja Turtles. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember reading somewhere that one of them wasn't actually Renaissance, but because it was in that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle lineup, nobody else gets that right. Yeah, everyone gets it like, wrong. Just, yeah. Like, all of them are Renaissance. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Jurassic Park. They're all from the different periods, but Jurassic sounded right. cool as a name, so everyone just says, hey, they're all from the Jurassic times. No, a third yeah. of them are from the Jurassic times. Some of them are from <laughs> Cretaceous and so on. Uh, yeah, no, it's... Uh, uh, yeah, the backstory is wild, but I do kind of love how like, the movie takes it very seriously and... You know, when Splinter's, like, telling this backstory, it's when he's tied up and he's been captured by Shredder and he's telling it to uh, Danny, who's now having these second thoughts because he feels guilty that he got, like, April's place burned down and stuff. Um, Which, I guess, just because we started in the middle of the plot here, yeah. Danny is the son of April's boss yes. who kind of sees the turtle at some point and rats them out to the Foot Clan. Yes, uh, who's obviously Shredder's in charge of, yes. 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 So he's feeling guilty, and he's, he's, he sort of comes to, like, hear Splinter's teachings, and Splinter tells his backstory. And, you know, see, when you look, you're, you're looking at Splinter's face, it looks like he's been crying and stuff, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I feel a little bit of emotion, because he's, because Danny's, like, saying, oh, my dad doesn't care about me, and he's like, that, that can't be true, because, uh, you know, fathers care deeply about their sons, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, you know, obviously it ties to him and the turtles and stuff. Uh, the scene yeah. that always hits me emotionally, though, uh is and again this is another thing the movie just sort of throws out there it takes seriously and we go with it because it's the way of the ninja uh, you know we're already like accepting you know mutant ninja turtles and a mutant rat so why not but this idea that like through meditation like they can communicate uh mm-hmm. and that's kind of like showing that uh, at the very least leo if not all four of them have ascended to like being like fully taught is that they they're able to connect to splinter when he's tight he's chained up and the, the you know the layer and the turtles are at a fire, a campfire near the, the farmhouse where they're all hiding while they're recuperating. And mm. they sort of have a conversation with Splinter, who looks kind of like a force ghost above the fire. Oh, absolutely, force yeah. ghost. Um, but that scene always gets, like, the music, I, I think the music's actually quite good in the movie, and the, but this, yeah. like, the emotional theme that plays, the father-son theme, as I'll call it, uh, plays during this scene as he's saying, I love you, my sons, and I may not always be there, but I've taught you well. And this is, this mm. is what prompts Leo to say, we're going back. Like, this is as we're going back to, like, save him. Um, yeah. Because I think what's interesting about the, the whole third act of the movie is that the Turtles aren't as instrumental. You know, it's actually Danny who's, like, you know, amending, you know, he, he's, like, redeeming himself and trying to help Splinter because he knows Shredder's going to have him killed and Casey mm-hmm. follows him and he ends up helping. They don't actually get that involved with saving their father that much. Uh, that all kind of happens by other characters that Splinter himself is almost influencing in, in a way, which yeah. is kind of a nice detail. But I think mm-hmm. it is important they, they do make the choice to go back so that they are being proactive in some way. Because otherwise it would be like, oh, they never make a choice. They never like actually try oh, yeah. and do anything. Mm-hmm. So I think them making the proactive choice to go back is very important. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it is pretty much right up until the climax. They're still... I mean, they're literally facing down Shredder and they're like, well, all right, tell us where Splinter is. Meanwhile... Splinter's already been escaped. He's down on the street beneath yeah. them, and it's just like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's time for these two plots to converge. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know how much you really want to get into it. We kind of just jumped into the third act there instead of talking about yeah, what happened. That's, the- that's fine. We can go back. It's fine. Go for it. Yeah. So, I mean, beginning of the movie opens up April O'Neil talking about 
the crime wave that's going on. The silent crime wave. The silent crime wave, which is just people turn around and they turn back and their stuff is gone. Which is actually a really fun premise because basically all it is is like all these like thieves are basically they've been taught ninjas or the way yeah. of the ninja, I should say. So they're all yeah. like stealthily taking things without anyone noticing. Which I do want to point out that one major recurring thing in this news broadcast is how there are no eyewitnesses to any of these crimes. Meanwhile, over the as soon as the news broadcast ends, the next like four crimes that are committed are all immediately caught by someone like, hey, that guy just stole my thing. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> they see it happening. It's only during the news broadcast that they're actually able to get away unscathed. Um but yeah, they're they're basically just stealing literally anything and everything based off of Shredder, who I guess is just building up a army of teenagers that's well, as best yeah. as i can figure out no i, I think i get this it's, it's an indoctrination okay. thing where mm-hmm. so so when we first cut to like all the kids who are doing all this stuff because they're not really like we see a lot about the foot doing it early on but the foot clan are basically the ones who have graduated and been trained and have been given the honor of right. wearing the outfit most of them are just these like punk kids who they might wear the like at one point danny's wearing the, you know, the headband with the symbol right. on it but he's not wearing the outfit they're all just punk kids, and Sam Rockwell's kind of the, 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 I don't know if he's the leader per se, but he's the one that feels like the leader in the scene. He's credited as yeah. head thug. There you go, head thug. So, you know, we see that right at this warehouse, they've got like a little skate park, they've got pool, they're playing video games, they're, they're doing all this stuff, right? And mm. I think it's this idea that he's indoctrinating all these kids by saying, hey, you can do anything you want. But then, of course, once they actually become loyal enough and they get trained to fight and they graduate to become the foot, obviously it becomes mm. this very disciplined, like, you're in the military for this evil, you know, <laughs> like, Yakuza-style... So Shredder's basically leading the cult of Scientology. Which <laughs> telling me here. Pretty, pretty much. No, I, yeah. it, it, and it works in the sense that, you know, one of the things that April brings up in the news report is that some of the older Japanese uh, people living in the city mm-hmm. are saying this reminds them of a crime wave like 30, 40 years ago. And it's the idea that this is the same guy did this in Japan. Like, Shredder did this yep. when he was younger. And he's he's building this army in, in in New York to like do it again, and that's why when he, he's so obsessed with finding the turtles when he hears about them is because mm-hmm. after the first time like some of the foot fight them when he hears about how they fought, it it worries him because like this sounds like my old nemesis like the guy that I you know because he you know, the part of the backstory we didn't get to is that he murdered Splinter's like owner and mm-hmm. his like wife to be because this was a woman that they fought over you know Shredder and Splinter or sorry Shredder yeah. and Splinter's owner. Or master Yoshi. That's yeah, that sounds right. Yoshi, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he but so but when she picked you know, Splinter's guy, he you know killed both of them, and mm. that you know that, that was kind of his big dark you know turn to villainy. Um. So he like wait a minute, these fighting moves you're describing they sound they sound like him. They sound like someone from my past, and you know so this is kind of like uh has come up and says sort of like he didn't know he you know he didn't like hunt down the rat and kill it, and it's led to like his ultimate uh you know karma on its way right. and the, which is actually it's one of the things that i really like about the uh the the way they deal with shredder in this is that he's so like i think one of the sad things they never did with the sequels mm. and admittedly given the way the second one kind of goes you really couldn't have necessarily done this but if i was mapping out like two sequels after this based on this first movie i would have mm. said the story has to be that by the third movie leonardo becomes good enough to take on the shredder in a fight 
because at the end of this movie he can't neither, none of them can even all yeah. four of them together can't take him on a, on a fight and the, the idea is that good and this is something that has to be leveled up to so mm-hmm. it's kind of like well that's kind of you know in the same way that you have luke finally be able to beat darth vader by right. the end of the third star wars movie you want leo to be the one that can eventually take on shredder uh by the end of like, your trilogy or whatever so it's kind of a shame mm-hmm. that it didn't, never goes anywhere near that kind of territory but i do appreciate that shredder is that much of a that's the threat that they can't take him on oh yeah no i think if you plan on sequels existing having them not be able to do it this first time around is prime setup yeah. for a future arc now you're telling me they don't get to it so kind of a wasted opportunity there but i think that it does sell right up to the end how much of a threat shredder is yeah just in general like he's just a big bad he's because it would be so easy for them to like you know they all try to fight him individually they can't do it and then splinter's message rings out in their heads use teamwork and then they just take him down and it's like all right well he was kind of a punk then wasn't he but in this case they use teamwork and it still didn't work, so... Yeah. And Shredder even admits that if they all attacked him at the same time, they might be able to overpower him. Because he ultimately mm-hmm. still, you know, four-on-one. But yeah. ultimately, he's defeated with his own anger because he charges at Splinter, who appears, you know, at the edge of the, the roof. And mm-hmm. Splinter outwits him with the nunchuck and, like, has him, like, dangling over the roof. And what's interesting is that Splinter... And this is important for because Splinter's a good guy, obviously is that he's mm-hmm. not going to kill Shredder because he's not a killer. He wouldn't do that. He Shredder yeah. only... and it, uh, Spoilers for the sequel. Shredder's back, so he's not dead. But, what? <laughs> what? But uh, Shredder, you know, falls seemingly to his death mm-hmm. uh, because he tries to, like, t- do a sneak attack and Splinter has to protect himself and that's what lets him go because he has to catch the, the, you know, the knife or whatever that he's thrown at him. So, yeah. you know, like, character-wise, that all makes sense. That, that all works. I appreciate that, um, you know. Yeah, and I think you know, Shredder's entrance, the way it's filmed with the shadow on the, oh yeah. the ground as he's walking out to address the Foot Clan and all the all the all the noobs that hopefully will become Foot Clan, mm-hmm. and he's like, "We are family," because that, that, that's what he's doing. He's he's like anointing like a new member. He's like, "You you now get the outfit. You become one of the Foot." Yeah. Uh, so. Can I just can I ask as someone who mm-hmm. was into that, how important? as a character in the cartoons were his shoulder pad spikes <laughs> i mean they're because there. <laughs> they they hold on the reveal of these shoulder pad spikes for an absurdly long time and like i already knew it was shredder based off the helmet which they've already shown significantly but like they're t- they spend 30 seconds taking the cape off of his shoulder pads as if like see it's shredder and i'm like yeah the helmet they definitely emphasized that a lot. I'm not sure <laughs> why, yeah. but, uh, you know, they're definitely... And I think I actually quite like the guy who plays Shredder. It's kind of an interesting comparison because the cartoon, of course, had uh, Uncle Phil as the yes. voice of Shredder, quite famously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's very good in that. But obviously with this and the backstory and certainly in the comics, it's meant to be a Japanese character. So um, I, I think he does quite well uh, yep. in this role. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I Again, my only issue it's not so much for shredder as much as a second in command of Mm -hmm. tatsu um for whatever reason they decided that both shredder and tatsu needed dubbing yeah and shredder he's got the mouthpiece on you can't really tell that he's being dubbed for the most part but there's a lot of times that tatsu is like 
not hitting the mark on whatever his lines oh, are supposed sure, to be. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, that's an unfortunate choice. I think with Shredder, you can almost say it's like an early version of like Nolan's Bane. Like you, you got like the, the yeah. this kind of sound effect on it. Uh, but it, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, this character—I don't, I don't know if he's from the comics. This like second in command because he—he's uh, certainly I don't think from the animated series. Uh, mm. The second movie does uh, some stuff that's a bit more in line with the cartoon in the sense that you get like sort of mutant henchmen, kind of like, you know, it's not mm. Bebop and Rocksteady, but it, which is actually one of the complaints that people have about the second one. I was like, you you did two mutant henchmen, why isn't it just Bebop and Rocksteady? Like, you know? Because you already have Bebop and Rocksteady action figures. Yeah, we need guess. you to get the new ones. Like kids wouldn't want the movie version though. Like, <laughs> of course they do. But, uh, yeah, I... Uh, the real question is though is why they never did i guess because it's just too fantastical but they never did crying in the technodrome which is i i think what people probably are hoping the third movie would be but they never did you're it. telling me that i thought it was the third movie don't spoil all the future movies for me already <laughs> here oh trust me nothing i've said is implied in any way what the third movie is fair enough <laughs> just just what it's not <laughs> fair enough so i've heard not crying and not good <laughs> yes is that about it yeah settles it down all right this is accurate um but yeah just real quick going back to the beginning of this um april o'neill obviously she leaves the news station after she gives a report Mm -hmm. she her van is being ransacked by foot clan and she is attacked and the turtles come out in darkness they save her and Wrath loses one of his sighs. Which, and to be fair, I think this is actually quite a smart film thing. This is uh, this is building up to the reveal of what they look like. Because mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, it's in shadows, it's in darkness, you don't see it, you just hear the noises, and then you just get a little bit of glimpse of Raph's eyes as he's looking through the sewer grate, you know, through the, the manhole, as, as he's yep. like, oh no, my sigh. And then you build up to the title and then the ultimate reveal of what the turtles look like. Which, for us coming back to this movie afterwards, mm-hmm. I think that works well. But I'm curious, like, I I didn't watch any trailers for this movie or anything like that. I have to assume they showed the turtles very clearly in the trailers. Like, it's not like a surprise to audiences of what they looked like. I don't think that matters, though. I, th- I think if you go to see the movie, even if you've seen, you know, if you, I mean, if you've seen the trailer for Robocop, you know what Robocop looks like, but you still, no, build, you still build to it in the movie as like a reveal in the moment, you know. Because yeah. in Robocop, he walks behind the frosty glass and you hear the sound effects of his footsteps. So you're like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. You know, you still build up to it as a, as a moment. And I think yeah, that's what you do here as fair. well. Uh, um, so, yeah, they, they go down the sewer and go and talk to Splinter. And Splinter literally just gives them like, hey, you had your first fight. You won. That's cool. But let's not forget the only rule that matters is that you cannot absolutely never can be seen. And then Raphael immediately goes to a movie. <laughs> He's mastered the art of blending in, okay? Yeah, because there's... Shortly after that, he gets out of the movie. He goes to... Uh, he, he sees some people stealing an old woman's purse. He beats them up. And then Casey Jones shows up. And Casey is about to be the executioner here. He's about to beat the ever-living crap out of these thugs. And Raphael tells him, hey, no, don't. So then they get into a fight. Casey manages to get one up on Raph and gets away. And as Raphael's chasing after him, a random taxi cab driver just said, he points him out. It's like, huh, that looks like a turtle wearing a trench coat. So how much of a master of disguise is he again? 
Look, people who live in New York have seen a lot of shit. Like, th- this, oh, okay. This cab driver <laughs> is not phased at all. Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> He's not even remotely phased. Look like a big turtle. So, you were going to this street again? <laughs> like, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Personally, I, I really enjoyed Casey Jones' uh, introduction here. I think oh, it did sure, a good yeah. job of setting up, like, even if it doesn't tell us anything about the character specifically of who he is or why he's doing this, it gave us a good idea of what he's doing and the reason that he's doing it mm-hmm. in that he is just basically another vigilante that is sick of the way things are, but he goes at it a bit more brutally than... And, and to be fair to, to the movie, they've definitely built a version of the world that needs... That you understand why oh, some yeah. characters would say, okay, I need to fight back against this. Yeah, uh, it's, and- it's the same thing of, you know, New York City as it exists today probably couldn't use Batman. But Gotham City, it needs Batman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's one of those things where you, so you never have to question as a reader or a viewer of a Batman comic, like, should we feel maybe, you know, should we second guess this idea? Because technically being a vigilante is illegal, but they give mm-hmm. us a city that is so corrupt that it needs someone outside the law to try and yep. clean it up. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just kind of here. It's like the cops are hopeless with the Foot Clan. They don't know what to do with this supposed ghost ninja clan. That's why the city needs the turtles. It needs Splinter leading the turtles against them because they won't understand this enemy, you know? They need other ninjas to fight ninjas. (laughs) So... I mean, you're right, yeah. Yeah, that's the Um, simple logic of it. Yeah, so then after that, we get April on TV again. She is now more vocal about the Foot Clan existing and does charge the police of not doing anything about it. Shredder is watching on his 57 TVs. <laughs> well, he throws a sigh or something into one of them, so clearly he just does this anytime he's annoyed by the television. Which is why he's got 60 of them, so that he can... It's okay, should, there's some collateral. You should have seen it the last time he watched Jeopardy. <laughs> Half the wall was gone. Every time he got a question wrong, he's like, you mother effer. <laughs> yeah no and this, this is you know there's, and there's some backstory here that prompts some other things like uh you know the chief of police is mad that she's brought this up and called out the police and this is how mm. april gets fired because he because he, he realizes that they've arrested uh you know the news guy's son he's like hey mm. stop your report from doing this and then april does it anyway which gets her fired um yep. so yeah there's some little things like these are the sort of things that when i watch this as a kid i don't think i put these dots together even though they're simple connections plot wise i'm sure when right. i was a kid i didn't understand any of this stuff this was like oh that's all it's quite functional it, it, it does work in the background as it explains yeah if, it, if it's nothing that is literally why are the ninjas fighting the other ninjas as a kid it probably just goes right over your yeah, head of... absolutely absolutely yeah. so but you know you, you get the thing where they attack april because shredder mm-hmm. wants her silenced and raf is also following april because he wants his side back he's, he's upset yep. that he's not got his, his, his side so he confronts them uh, and because there's too many of them so he grabs april who's fainted at this point and mm-hmm. races back to their hideout right to the in the sewers and april yep. wakes up and obviously and that's you know this is all i think understandable this, this is not like overly witty in the sense that i don't think they're being too cute here i think you have to have some comedy with her seeing the turtles oh, for yeah. the first time and freaking out at, at, at splinter and then i i do want to point out that the very first time we see april she's mm-hmm. walking to her van in new york city really want to lay that out this is new york city mm-hmm. and she sees a rat and she immediately jumps up onto the nearest crates this is new york there are rats april you've no. lived here your whole life there <laughs> are rats 
I know what you're saying, but this is supposed to be a bit of like foreshadow. This is like maybe like a foreshadowing oh, no, of, of of Splinter and her reaction to Splinter. That's what the point of this is. Absolutely, but it just seems so weird to me that this hard hitting reporter who does all <laughs> this street stuff, she sees one rat in the street and she's just not like, yeah, it's a day that ends in Y. She can have a phobia, Raz. The whole point of a phobia <laughs> is that it's a irrational fear it's not a phobia if you're scared of axe-wielding maniacs that's a rational fear but if she had a phobia she would never be used to splinter but she's immediately over splinter she's like oh yeah no the giant rat guy he's cool you say that but like let's say you've got arachnophobia right and then Uh you meet a big rat who's humanoid and has a a, can speak and has thoughts and is intellectual Your, Mm -hmm. your, your opinion may change a little bit Look, I, I don't have a phobia of, but I do not like bees because, you know, they sting and they hurt. The bees. If a giant talking bee not came up to me, even if it was intelligent, even if this bee was speaking with the voice of, of some Harvard professor, uh-huh. and I would still be terrified of the giant bee approaching me. I don't think Fair. that's irrational. <laughs> you say that I think you go to therapy David eh I'll bring uh, it up next week whatever. having nightmares having nightmares of the bees I'm, I'm just I'm just seeing Nicolas Cage in the Wicker Man remake now that's all I'm, that's all I'm seeing they hurt and they exist only for pain and I'm specifically talking about like wasps and hornets honeybees I know are, know are cool yes yes people like honey honey's got purposes yes uh, absolutely anyway we're talking about turtles so yes the the she wakes up, she reacts to Splinter, and then we get the first telling of their origin story of there was ooze, they were down in the sewer. Apparently the turtle's first word as they grew in intelligence was pizza. That's cute. Because, Come on, that's yeah, funny. No, I was all right with that. Not being said, they used like a different animatronic for the adolescent mutant mm. ninja turtles. That thing was terrifying. it's definitely got a bit of a horror movie vibe to it it was like it it was the fly when it's right in between fly and human that was right in between actual real turtle and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and it was just horrifying yeah and to be fair we have glossed over them I think Donnie and Mike order pizza and they're waiting for the pizza guy they do yes Uh, and the pizza guy is a little the Domino's pizza guy specifically is mm-hmm. a little bit miffed that he has to slide the pizza through a grate on the, the ground into the sewer. But yep. they pay him, although they get $3 off because he was he was a little bit late. God, do you remember those times when pizza was late, you managed to get money off your no, order? that was never a thing in the UK, I don't think. It was, I remember it from my childhood. It was never, you know, a free yeah. pizza or anything like that. $3 off seemed about right. Yeah. Now, I, if it was ever a thing anywhere in the UK, it's certainly not when I was old enough that I was paying for pizza. <laughs> Fair enough. I um, just remember it was a thing because my parents, they'd be like, okay, keep an eye on the clock and let us know if it gets past this time. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> uh, dear. Um, yeah. But to be fair, I mean, as much as you, you critique that they're mostly one-liners and stuff, there is a little bit here or there because even this scene has like, Donnie saying to Mikey, hey, that thing about Splinter saying that he may not always be here. Do you ever think about that? Because that's obviously one of the main themes of the, the movie. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of setup from them in that sense. And yeah. I think... Uh, in fairness, that that line is immediately followed up with Mikey saying, like, oh, he's late, $3 off the pizza. But I think that's a one-liner with a point of that yeah. Mikey doesn't want to think yeah. about it. Yeah. 
So I, I appreciate those one-liners, the ones that serve a purpose outside of filling in the gaps of it's a one the action figure. <laughs> it's a one-liner with nuance. Exactly. There you go. Beautiful. See, that's movie's genius. That's, that's, that's <laughs> what we're realizing right now. So I'm going through the awards here, and I'm not noticing any Oscars. That's kind of disappointing. Hey, the Oscars have always shunned the most more challenging and courageous films of, of, of contemporary of times. Of course. Absolutely. It did win the Kids' Choice Award, though. <laughs> That's all right. Kids of the Future, they, get, they see it. They see through yeah. the cracks. Sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> for, it won the Kids' Choice Award for Favorite Animal Star for the Four Turtles. That feels like a made-up award just so the Turtles could win it. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Either that or... I, it probably had four nominees, and the nominees were Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo. Yeah, when the turtles take April back to her place, that's when, um, the one of the foot followed Raph back to their place mm -hmm. when they were when he was rescuing April. So the foot come and kidnap Splinter. Turtles come back and find that and go back to April, and they're hiding out at April's for the time being. And mm -hmm. uh, much leads to the fun scene where April's boss is there, and they all have to hide like ninjas so they don't mm -hmm. be seen. Um, so there's like a fun sort of like set piece where he's walking around and they're just sort of poking out of places and. Uh, Danny's there and he sees one of them for a moment and that's why he's able to rat them out no pun intended yep. uh, to uh, to Shredder uh, which you know all of this is like him making these choices he's, he's helping the bad guys and, but then when he sees the consequences of it he sees like them all fighting for their lives and he sees the her place burning to the ground it's like mm -hmm. okay alright he's maybe starting to regret these choices he's starting to grow he's got a coming of age story that's all nice I think what I like about all this is Leo and Raph have their fight, so Raph's kind of separated. He's up on the roof. Yep. He uh, gets attacked by the foot first, and he actually ends up... He's holding his own, but eventually there's so many of them, he gets outnumbered, and he goes through the you know the skylight, and he's injured. So, mm. you know, I, I do think there is a nice little bit here where all the other turtles are quite sad, and Leo especially, because he had the fight with them, is oh. like not leaving Raph's side, because they've got him in a bathtub, and they're like pouring water over him, because he's a turtle, and that's how he heals. Okay. There's, there's two things I need to bring up real quick. Okay. Um, the first of which was when Raphael goes up on the roof. I genuinely thought, because there was like a little musical cue here for a minute. I genuinely thought he was about to go into like the angry dance from Footloose. Because <laughs> he gets up there and he just starts like throwing punches and doing cartwheels and stuff like that. And I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? Um... In addition to that, he's up on this roof and he gets spotted by Casey Jones, which is how Casey ends up really like joining the group is yeah, that he yeah, comes yeah. over during the attack he's doing surveillance on like the roof or something of another building yeah really do want to point out though this is middle of the day and mm -hmm. there are many buildings taller than the one raf is on so that whole do not be seen in public thing it, it feels like it kind of went by the wayside a little bit here yeah. I get that Raph is angry and he's not thinking about it, but like, like I'm not it's going number to zero. I'm not going to pretend that the whole not be seen thing is just kind of mostly ignored. If I was trying to defend it a little bit, I'd maybe say that Raph's whole character is that he's always rebelling against Splinter's teachings, so he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Fair enough. He is pretty much the only one who goes out ever yeah. on his own. He's the so one who goes to the that. movie. He's the one who goes up in the roof. He's the one taking all the chances, following April to get his side back when he's not supposed yeah. to. Although that does end up saving our life. So, you know, it, it's... 
you know, it's it's uh, you need him. You still need that personality in your group. That's it's kind Fair of the part of the point, maybe. Uh, the second thing is during the scene where we see Raphael in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, they just threw the suit in there, and there's not even a guy. He's literally like both legs are dangling <laughs> over the end. He looks like he's just drunk after a party, and he's sleeping it off. And it's it's literally it's a shot of Leonardo sitting in a chair like just watching him and he's so upset and he's so like hoping that his brother's going to be able to pull through and then it switches to the reverse shot which is completely flat of him just like a family guy pose in this bathtub and I'm it I feel like a comedy beat where it really shouldn't have been just with how crazy laid out he was I was too invested in the moment I guess Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, uh, not so much that, but like when he wakes up and like really was excited that he's okay, mm-hmm. uh, like that that scene, you know, that hits. Oh so. yeah, that's that's a that's a fine scene. There's also a couple of nice, really. There's a couple of transitions here where April's like drawing like Donnie, mm-hmm. or then she's drawing someone else, and it transitions to that scene, and it's like her drawing. It's like yeah. that's a really inventive little uh, a little thing because they had to think about that in advance, and it's you know it's, it's all well, it also comes. Much. Yeah, it also comes up with the uh, plot of the whole reason when Danny is about to turn on Shredder, Shredder finds one of those drawings in his yeah, pocket. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And he's like, oh, the turtles are back in town. Yeah, at this point, he's already starting to be like kind of on Splinter's side. And mm-hmm. then when he hears that Splinter is going to be killed, that's when he's like, okay, I need to take action and save him. So, yep. you know, he has his journey, he has his like, you know, journey to like uh, redemption or whatever. Um, yep. Because even little things like he steals some money from April early on at the end of the movie, he 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 walks up and hands her a twenty and says, "I owe yeah. you that. Just trust me." And she's like, "What? Huh?" <laughs> I mean, okay. If we're going to talk about Danny's arc here, the one part that I really want to get across is I think the moment that he talks to his dad and says, "Like, hey, look, I'm sorry we did that. I did all this. I've been a little shithead. I'm, yeah, I'm different now." I thought that was fine, but then the last line we actually get from him is, "And please, dad." It's Dan now. I'm like, that's how we've shown you've grown up. Is you just go from Danny to Dan. It just felt so strange to tack that. It felt like he would, if it was anything besides him being named Danny beforehand, it felt like him announcing to his dad that he was trans. The way that he was saying that. I think that's a bit of a a leap. I don't think that was intended. It just (laughs) seems so weird to me that like, no, 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 I'm an adult now. And therefore... Call me no, Dan. I, I think the the point of that, right? And I'm not saying it works as well as I'm about to say it, but I think okay. the point of that is the idea that there's been a disconnect between him and his son the whole movie, right? The, the first time we see them, he's like, oh, he never listens. He ever goes to school. He just puts mm-hmm. those headphones on when he doesn't want to tear me, blah, 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 right? So they're, they're very yeah. different. You know, the, not that you expect a, a young teenager to be wearing like a suit or anything, but you know, the dad's smartly dressed for work. The son's wearing like a music t-shirt and just mm-hmm. looks like a, bit, like a bit of a rebel the whole time. I think the point of that little Dan, you call him it's Dan now, and the dad sort of goes, Dan, okay. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the point is is that he that, that he's not understood his son the whole movie. His son's saying, look, dad, I'm Dan. And he goes, okay, I'll call you Dan, if that's what you want to be. Like, you know, I, I think the point is is that this is he's accepting what his son's telling him that this is who he is. I presume that Danny is what his dad's always called him. That's fair, but you literally just described like the trans coming out plot line. Like, beat for beat. Oh no, I I get that, but I don't think that was intended in nineteen. Oh no, 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 definitely not. Look, I'm just saying that's the way that it came across. If the writer of the movie says, "Yeah, that was actually a bit of subtext," I'll be like, "Whoa, I'm impressed that you were slipping that in there at this time period." But I don't yeah. think that was intended at the time. 
No, definitely not. So yeah, I mean, then you after that point, we basically went over the whole third act already. So yeah, there's a lot of fighting. Turtles yeah. fighting the foot. Uh, ultimately, got him face shredder. Um, and then okay, so Splinter throws him off the building because he's countering an attack, which again, no problems with. I think that that was a good way for the character to you know, technically beat the villain without having to murder him. But then Casey Jones just murders him. Like, it's not... He falls into a trash compactor, and Casey, the lovable scamp he is, turns it on. Well, he's the, he's like the red hood of the, of the story. He's the one who's willing to go that extra step. Fair enough, but, like, don't you think somebody would have been, like... Like, immediately after that scene... He goes up to April and is like, hey, can we have that kiss now? He just committed murder. Like, very clear murder. To be fair, Shredder has not killed anybody, save for Splinter's master way, way back. That's not murder. There's no uh, statute of limitations. I get, okay, well, what's the whole Batman line? If you If you kill a murderer, the number stays the same. I'm not ju- I'm not arguing that, but you have to admit this comes from a time period where this would just happen. Good guys would kill bad guys, and I no guess. one would question it. I guess that's the whole thing: is that Casey Jones is really just like the year 1990 personified. <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. Like, uh, and to be fair, Shredder survives. <laughs> Shredder survives only because they needed him to. Otherwise, yeah. he died in that trash compactor. He, he's 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 just hurt a little bit. That's all. He's yeah, not, he's, he's not killed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose you could look at it this way: that Casey. I mean, is it clear that does Casey know that he's still alive? Regardless, I feel like <laughs> you could say oh, he thinks he's already dead, so why not just desecrate the body? Okay, well, e- even if he he didn't, <laughs> even and I'm, I swear that is like the most. What if he didn't? Like what? But even if he didn't know he was alive, the fact that he did it in such a way of, instead of like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to end the Shredder once for all. He literally walks up and goes, oops, and flips the lever. He's just a, he's a scamp. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, <laughs> he's just he's a, a lovable scamp. He's just a lovable scamp who will kill the bad guy. Uh, yeah. You know. Um, and hell, even Sam Rockwell and all the thugs decide to like turn over a new leaf by the end. Yeah. Uh, that, be, Splinter is just the master of the talk that gets you through whatever you need to get through. Well, I think it's specifically the like Sh- uh, Shredder was saying that he was everyone's father. I think the mm-hmm. idea that Splinter actually is a father to people, and not that he's going to become all these kids' fathers, but the idea that he's able to give a father speech to them and yeah. it actually resonates with them because he's actually caring and gives a shit that they're not like throw their lives away on some level. Uh, it kind of reaches them. They see what Shredder's actually yeah. like when he because they see like Shredder at least a henchman like beating up a bunch of the foot because he's pissed off they failed at one point in the movie mm. and it's like hmm maybe we shouldn't <laughs> be a part of this maybe we shouldn't be in this regime and, yeah actually for that scene uh the guy that they beat up the worst is mm. the new guy that they brought in like the one who was indoctrinated right at the beginning of the movie yeah yeah that makes sense uh, yeah. and he was supposed to just straight up die that's right they, then, check, they check his pulse at the end yeah you're right yeah they check his pulse but they Purposely, right before release, they added in the off-screen audio lines of, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> Which probably means that when they shot it, 
he did just die and then it was oh, like yeah. oh no we should probably soften this a little bit it's like oh yeah the ratings board is threatening a higher rating we need this to be pg so that's probably yeah they, they probably that was that, that line is probably there just to literally get the rating down a level yeah probably yeah that makes which, sense. again i i understand he's the villain but the fact that someone can just be trash compacted alive or dead which actually couple of interesting details about the uk release of this movie now since we're on the mm-hmm. idea of ratings and potential censorship so did you know that in the uk up until i don't know when it changed but when i was a kid when, when the cartoon was first coming out and when these movies were first coming out the bbfc which were very harsh in the 80s and 90s ever ever since the video nasties era it was very strict mm. for a long time nowadays it's nothing nowadays if anything they're more lenient than the mpa but there was a time when they were rough and even movies that were 18s, which is, you know, the, the hard R rating, mm-hmm. were being edited slightly. Like Lethal Weapon 2 had some oh stuff God. cut out, even though it was still an 18. Things like that, right? Wow. L- luckily, we're past those days. Uh, my early days of DVD collecting, I would often import American DVDs to get the uncut versions of some movies, just because... And it wasn't even because they still had to be censored. They just... The studios never bothered resubmitting them because it cost money. <laughs> so they just released right. the cut version and so Fair on. Uh, but anyway... For whatever reason, part of like making sure it was the PG or the U or whatever it was at the time, probably PG, mm. the word ninja was too no. adult. So in the UK, the cartoon was not called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Teenage <laughs> No, it doesn't quite work. Doesn't. I'm, sure, and I'm sure the song in the cartoon said hero as well. I'm sure they did like a version of it for the UK. I mean... So the title was different for the movie as well. And then the second thing is that there were edits. There were parts of this movie that I didn't see until... I think it got resubmitted and got released uncut on, like... If not the Blu-ray, then certainly maybe the DVD before it. But if, if not then, certainly for the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of bits of scenes of this movie that I didn't see until I was like 20. I, and I watched this a lot as a kid. And all the bits that I didn't see as a kid, do you know what they were? Every single scene where Michelangelo uses nunchucks. Because nunchucks were deemed too violent for kids in the UK. So so, so the whole sequence where he has a nunchuck off with yep. the other Foot Clan, just gone. Just gone. In fact, I would argue that that, that scene where they, they beat up Raph and throw him to the skylight, and then mm-hmm. they, they fight the turtles... I would say most of the stuff, most of that fight that takes place in the apartment before it goes downstairs into the antique shop where the fire mm-hmm. starts, I would say a good chunk of that was missing in the original UK wow. race. Because I, I, I remember like seeing that for the first time and being like, whoa, like there's all this extra stuff here that I never saw. Um, and I think that's why in the second movie, there's not a lot of nunchuck stuff anyway. Like I think they intentionally just kind of like... They just you, didn't even want to deal with yeah. the... Uh, there's like there's, there's like a joke in the second movie where he uses like sausages like nunchucks and i think that's like why that was there it's like oh to give him like a nunchuck like scene but it's not you know actual nunchucks so yeah this is this is just like it doesn't really that's matter now but it you know at the time it was a big deal he did have them in the cartoon and i think they got away with it because it was a cartoon but i think yeah. the idea of live action nunchucks were like that's too violent and i'm like but sword <laughs> <laughs> swords are like stabbing weapons i was i was thinking of that throughout this movie where they they show all the different turtles weapons and you know donatello's got a bow staff michelangelo's got nunchucks 
Raphael has size, and then Leonardo has just straight up like katanas. Yeah. I feel like two of those are the actual damage doers, and the yeah. other two were just kind of like, we'll take care of crowd control, guys. Well, it, it's always been that. I mean, I, I, I think the reason for the nunchucks thing was the idea that they're dangerous in the sense that if a kid thinks he can recreate nunchucks, he might, you know, do some oh, yeah. damage mm-hmm. to himself or whatever, which, what you know, fine. But I think I've always had this look. I get that all the weapons are all different ninja weapons, and that's why it's, you know, that's the four weapons. But right. I've always felt that Donatello specifically got the shaft because he gets a stick. Like, Sai, yeah. Katana, Nunchucks, stick. <laughs> I don't disagree, but it's not, it's not the weapon itself that matters. It's how you use it. But it's especially funny that he's the most high-tech turtle, but his weapon oh, is by far the, the, the low-tech one. <laughs> I fully imagine that, probably in, like, the Michael Bay movies, I imagine that he probably has, like, some tech augmentation where, oh, like, yeah. he can, like, pull out some, like, special things from inside of it. I, I've only ever seen, like, the first 20 minutes of the first Bay-produced movie, so mm. that'll be a journey when we get there, because I don't know what to oh, expect boy. aside from that, so... We'll see. The answer is not much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I like this movie quite a bit. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I like fun. I like a lot of the actors in their parts. I think April is good. It's a shame she hasn't come back. Uh, mm. for not that I necessarily dislike the actress in the second movie, but like, I, you know, I, I think she's got some chemistry with Casey. You know, they have a bit yeah. of back and forth, which is kind of nice. You know, they have a whole bit at the farmhouse where he calls her Toots and then Babe, and then, you know, he keeps using these pet nicknames, and she's like, you he's know He's literally the year you're 1990. Yeah, but he's like, you know what, fine. Or she's like, fine, I'll, 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 I won't ask for your help. And he's like, well, give me a hint here. But, you know, but at the end, he's like, hey, he wants attention from her, and she's like getting ready to go on the news after getting her job back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and she negotiated higher salary, a corner office. She got everything she wanted. You know, you said negotiated. She literally just threw out those things and says, "Like you want the story? Gimme, gimme, gimme." Yeah, and he caved because yeah. she deserves all those things. <laughs> uh, but he's like, "Hey, I look like I just like you know." And what was he said? Was it? Uh, I just called Mike Tyson a wuss. Yeah, uh, which is an inventive way of saying, "Look, I just got beat up. Like, give me sympathy." Uh, yeah. And she's like, "Just shut up and kiss me, so I can go do my job." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, the movie ends with Splinter giving the turtles their catchphrase word of cowabunga. And yep. they say cowabunga and high five. And it's a nice big moment. And then we get the T-U-R-T-L-E power rap. Yeah, this one's not as memorable. The one from the second movie is much more you know, oh, yeah. memed and mem- remembered. Apparently the one that's most memorable in this rap, and I purposely got to the point where they said it, uh, about like two-thirds of the way through the song, they're recounting the names of the turtles. And they're like, yeah, Leonardo, Donatello... Michelangelo. Also, there's one more. Mike Raphael's the leader of the group. Uh, yeah, that's factually incorrect. But okay, <laughs> it was, but it was in the official song T U R T L E Power. So, don't worry, don't worry. Vanilla Ace will fix everything. Okay, in the next one. That is the first time that sentence has ever been uttered. <laughs> Vanilla Ace will make it okay. Don't worry. Yep. Don't worry. uh i look forward to talking about secretly is but i you know i I think don't get me wrong part of the love for this movie is nostalgia but i think it is shocking how much of it does work and how much of it feels like it's got an identity 
It isn't just like mm-hmm. a kids movie. It feels like it has like an ident- you know its own visual identity, and uh, that's great. And yeah, I think you can still applaud it for that. Um, and I still have like nostalgia for the second one, but the second one is definitely a dumb kids movie that you're going to have a lot more uh, understandable problems with. I mean, here's the thing. But now I've been primed for it. So sure. maybe it'll just slide right off my back. Maybe it'll just be like, yeah, like they a, say dumb things sometimes. Like don't a, say like a turtle. Don't say like a turtle. Don't do it. Like a Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete, like a tortoise. Anyway. We just we just reenacted that scene in Dark Knight when he's going to say like a bat and then uh, yeah. Lucius Fox jumps in like a submarine, Mr. Wayne, Mr. like Wayne. a submarine. Yep. <laughs> Jesus. That's what just happened there. I mean, I'll take being Bruce Wayne in that counteraction. I'm good with that. <laughs> now, is it high art? Is it, is it like, you know, does it rival the Dark Knight as comic book movies go? No, of course it doesn't. It's no. not that deep. But I think it's a good time. I think if you have fond memories of it, go back and revisit it. I think you'll be surprised that it holds up surprisingly well and uh, have a good time with it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I basically agree across the board with everything you said. Um, I do think there are good elements to it. For me personally, I just felt having not grown up with it, having not had it in my life from a young age, I felt how much it was just aimed at kids in terms of the Turtles dialogue. And yeah, it's a kid's movie. That's fine. It's going to be that. Um, But as a 30-year-old experiencing it for the first time, it's going to be the same sort of thing as if I watched any kids movie that came out within the past, like five years anyway, where it's, yes, it's yeah. going to have jokes that just aren't aimed at me. And you, that's fine. Joe, you know I think it's interesting about it though, is I, I do think that not, not that the idea of like something being aimed at a lower audience changes over time. Cause it isn't like the, the sensibilities you're going for are kind of similar, but I do I do think there is something like where if I watch another kids thing from this time period, I think it might click with me a little bit better just because the kiddie humor it's going for was the kiddie humor when I was a kid. As opposed yeah. to the kiddie humor of today is like so alien to me that it's just stupid and I don't get it. I don't understand it. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, I think that makes sense because, yeah. I mean, if you look at humor of things from like modern cartoon network shows like adventure time or chowder stuff like that they are very different to the humor you get in like transformers yeah absolutely like i think i will inherently get something as long as it's halfway decent i will at least see something in it from this time period more than something modern just because Mm. it's it's harkening back even if it's not something i specifically watched or was a, a part of at the time it's still harkening back to a time that I, I recognize somewhat, whereas mm. I think kid stuff now just doesn't work for me. Because, unless it's you know, something that is smart and works for both a young and old, you know, like a Pixar movie or something that does yeah. actually have some more mm. to it. But um, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Rate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. So trying to keep my scoring here consistent across all mm-hmm. the different franchises. I'm going to go ahead and say that this one is a seven. Mm. I think that it is, it's a solid, it's got a nice setting to it. I think many, many aspects of the world work. Obviously it does have some flaws. I've been talking about them consistently this whole time, so I won't restate them here, but it is in the end, a kid's movie that has 
just enough going on for it that I think it manages to break out of being just a kid's movie. It manages to get into, now it's a film within its own right. It's doing its own thing. And maybe it's not for every audience, but you can at least appreciate that the effort was made. I can't speak for all the fans, but I have to imagine that if you were an adult fan of the Turtles comic books when they came out, that this movie probably worked for a lot of them. I mean, it depends, because I know that when the comic first started out, it was making fun of the Grimdark. Like, it was making fun of Frank Miller in the regard of, by the time the cartoon show hit, it was the polar opposite of that. I mean, certainly compared to the cartoon, though, I think this is much closer. If you're the fan of the cartoon, the only thing I could think you would have a complaint with is how Shredder's not laughably... Yeah, yeah. Like just a villain of the week sort of thing. He is actually menacing, but... Damn those I think turtles! I think that that's a plus for the movie, honestly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, all right, well, so you give it a seven. Um, I think if I was being completely objective with it, I would say seven is the right score. But mm-hmm. I'm going to let my heart take it a little bit further. And? I'm going to give it an eight. All right, full it's, point. It's getting a bump because there's a personal nostalgic meaning to this. Uh, and scores are subjective. I always say they are. Um, th- this is, th- and not all, you know, not all th- things. Even though technically they're on a scale, not all eights are equal. Not all nines are equal to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, just because I'm giving this an eight doesn't mean I'm saying it's only half a point in actual objective quality from, say, Dirty Harry, which got like an eight point five from me. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, but I am saying this is an eight out of ten because it means something to me, and it actually is pretty solid at what it's doing. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and it, I would say it makes the cut. I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's simple. That's I, I would not say that it is an all-time classic where it's just the greatest thing to ever exist. It's not our highest tier, but it very easily makes the cut. You know, I don't think we've had a cut above yet. I, I'll be very excited when we finally get to give that distinction out. That's TMNT3, for sure. <laughs> Because for those of us who are not familiar with the scale, uh, for this sort of like shared thing afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, just to remind everyone, a cut above is the top honours, which is like, no, you need this. You need this. You need to have it. And then mm-hmm. makes the cuts the second, which is, yeah, it's worth having. And yeah, that's, that's where, mm-hmm. so, that's the highest thing we've given out to a few movies thus far have been. Yep. And then there's the stuff below that, which is cutting the close, cut from the collection, cut your losses. And I, I do think there's also an avoid at all costs here. I don't have a fancy name mm-hmm. for that one yet, but... Something will fall into that category eventually. Um, Possibly even this month, question mark, question mark. There's like a really dark version that I could go with, by the way, I I don't want to make a a suicidal joke, so I won't. Oh, okay. I I, I don't want to make that the official term, but but that's where my mind went for a split second there. I was like, uh, you know. So it's a kid's movie. I don't think people click it on this video or listen to this podcast or kids. I think it's mostly people our age or older who have fun mm-hmm. memories of turtles. That'd be my guess. But yeah, uh, or people who are just a fan of the show or of this show, I mean, in general, and are just listening for interest sake. But uh, there you go. That is uh, our discussion on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We will be back next time with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two: The Secret of the Ooze, and of course. The uh, bonus episode, which I mentioned earlier, is the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated movie, which came out a few years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. That will either be up already or up soon for patrons and YouTube members, so check it out. Uh, and of course, that is a way you can support the content and all the shows that we do. 
is becoming a member of patreon.com slash TV uh, and getting bonus content. Uh, at the lowest tier, you get a bonus episode once a month. At the $5 tier, there's other bonuses from other shows as well, in addition to their bonus episodes. Um, while Streams After Midnight is on... Uh, the show's not on hiatus, but the bonus content's on hiatus because Tim's away having another baby. And because of that, we've got... We're replacing the Streams $5 bonus with a, a second bonus episode from Collector's Cut. Um, so look out for that sometime uh, in fact the first one would have been last month because we're doing this so far ahead uh this is a this oh that's is, right yeah uh, this time is, is weird yeah time is a, a flat circle all that <laughs> jazz uh so make sure you check out those things of course you can support us by just commenting liking subscribing sharing the video or the podcast out uh rate us on the podcast app five stars all that sort of stuff helps us out a lot if you do give us a review uh but yeah uh thank you for joining us and hopefully you enjoyed the show uh, let us know what you think of uh, the movie in the comments and what you think of Turtles in general. Were you a fan? Did you grow up with them? Did you not? I We're always fascinated to uh, read the comments. Uh, but that is the show! So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies and cowabunga. Actually, no. I'll, I'll, I'll do a quote from the movie that I actually tweeted out, oh, which is okay. relevant. So, uh, a wise man says that forgiveness is divine, but never pay for late pizza. <laughs>